You're listening to the Well Women Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's cycle health educator. Together, we're normalizing periods, cracking open real body talk, and femme rising the future. I'm here to remind you that your body is amazing. You can achieve balance, and body confidence all begins with your menstrual cycle. Get ready, beautiful. You're about to learn how to confidently reconnect with your body and discover your unique flow. You're listening to episode 97. Oh my God, I'm so excited. We are quickly approaching our 100th episode. FYI, it's kind of like only in a few weeks time. Now to celebrate, we're compiling an episode of Your Voices and I really would love to hear from you. There's two simple steps so that you can be a part of this 100th episode with other listeners. Step one is I want you to pick your favorite learning from the show, a tip you've applied to your monthly menstrual cycle and a ha moment, something that's, you know, you've just loved from one of I guess, whatever it is, I want you to pick your favorite learning. And then step two is I want you to go to this super cool website, speakpipe.com. That's speakpipe.com forward slash Gemma Lee. There you'll see a little button and you can press on this and it's going to record your voice. Now in 90 seconds, I want you to let me know your name, where you're from in the world and what your favorite learning is. We'll then pop them all together for a special 100th episode that's coming out around Christmas time. And I'm so excited that we've got to this momentous point and I want to share it with you. I want to hear your voices. So make sure you get your audio in ASAP so we can feature you. And I cannot wait to hear from you. Today's episode is all about the copper IUD also commonly known as the birth control gateway. Now, I reached out to Stephanie Adler, who has a lot of experience in the copper IUD and everything around contraception. She's also a fertility awareness um, educator, similar to myself. And after seeing her Instagram, I just knew that Steph and I would get along. So I had to have her on the show. Now, Steph is a founder of the Bright Bean Health. That's her business. She's a certified nutrition consultant, fertility counselor, a wellness coach, and a birth doula. Her practice focuses on supporting those with cyclical bodies, aka menstruators, in balancing their hormones, healing their guts, and all things baby making. She's immensely passionate about giving women the knowledge and tools they need to thrive in this modern world. But similar to me, Steph has a lot of passions about just living a healthy lifestyle. You can also find her on a pottery wheel making moon cups, which I just love, hiking or walking barefoot on the beach. So in this episode, chatting all about the copper IUD, we cover what is the IUD, what is the copper IUD, what are the differences between the two, the IUD's hormonal effect on the body, how to transition to a copper IUD if you're currently on birth control, if um, you're planning on doing that from the pill, the downsides to the copper IUD, we talk about the, the positives and the negatives. We also touch on the IUD's effect on our hormonal levels. And if you're planning on having your IUD removed, what you need to know before you do that so you can prepare. And lastly, a really important topic around anything to do with contraception or your body is questions to ask your healthcare provider. This is a really beautiful and juicy episode all about the copper IUD, and I hope that you'll enjoy it. Now, as we go through the episode, if you want to check out who Steph is, head over to Instagram and look up Stephanie Adler Wellness. That's Stephanie, S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E, Adler, A-L-D-L-E-R, Wellness, Stephanie Adler Wellness. Fantastic. That link will also be in the show notes, but let's get into it. Before we jump into it, I have to interrupt this episode to let you know that today is sponsored by the Well Women Academy. 
Wellwood Academy is a weekly membership where together we study menstrual cycles, holistic health, and how to reconnect with your body. Every month, our Well Women access members-only, self-paced educational content across a wide range of formats, including written, video, audio, and guided home study. Led by myself and other pioneering guest teachers, together we cover fields of ancestral health, Ayurveda, sexuality, sensuality, holistic health, and lots more. This is your chance to join an international supportive community of women to discover your cycle, your body, ignite your inner intuition, and illuminate your life. It's like no other in the world. Not to mention, it's cheaper than your daily coffee fix. Learn more and join us at wellsome.com forward slash academy. That's W-E-L-L-S-O-M-E dot com forward slash academy. Steph, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be here, Gemma. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled that you're joining us. I am excited to talk about this topic with you today. And I know that we were just chatting before we hit the record button about how we kind of feel like we're kind of the same people, but just in different countries. And I love that so much. Um, So share with our listeners and the Well Women community, who is Stephanie Adler and what does she do? Like, like share that with us before we get started. Northern hemisphere version of you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Hi, so excited to be here. So Stephanie Adler, who I am, I grew up in Atlanta and was like super disconnected from my body and just like had a lot of health issues when I was a kid. Um, And when I was around like 12 or 13, so like right around the time I was getting my period for the first time and like coming into my femininity, I figured out that my diet was probably the catalyst for most of the health issues I was having, even though doctors said that wasn't the case and made this like drastic move for a preteen essentially to change her life by changing her diet. And it totally transformed my life. I mean, within three months of changing my diet, symptoms I've been having for almost 13 years were pretty much going away. And so I became really just awake to this idea that food is medicine or food is the catalyst for dis-ease in the body and really wanted to like get more in touch and in tune with my body. And so over the next decade, really spent a lot of time reconnecting with myself, reconnecting with my feminine and went to school, studied conflict resolution, something totally different. My mom was like, maybe you should be a nutritionist. And I was like any normal teenager who was like, I can't listen to anything my mom says. And so I was like, <laughs> <laughs> do the direct opposite. Exactly. Um, but then I, so I lived abroad for five years, like was always really in love with, I lived on the Mediterranean. And so I like, really in love with that cuisine and just the way that fresh food was a part of people's lives. And when I moved back to the States, um, and I actually don't know how this is in Australia because I've never had the privilege of going. But when I moved to this back to the States, I just was like completely flabbergasted by all of my coworkers and peers and everyone who was just so sick and not putting the pieces together that like the food that they were eating was causing this. And every commercial on TV was for a pharmaceutical because we can have that here. It's crazy. A pharmaceutical and then a junk food. And it would just alternate. And so I decided to go back to school for nutrition so that I could be part of the solution and tell my mom that she was right all along. Your mom was like, finally, she's listening to me. Yeah, we got there eventually. Um, Yeah, and then then through that process, realized like I had been on the birth control pill since I was 12. And even though I'd been doing- Since you were 12. Yeah, I had kind of irregular cycles. It's a pretty common story, at least in the States. Like I had kind of irregular cycles, like my first few periods. One of my aunts had endometriosis and it um, 
caused her infertility issues. And so the doctors were like, well, we can just get ahead of this and put you on the pill. And like, my, we didn't know any better. And so even though I'd been doing all of this amazing you know, work for my body, I was still more anxious than I should have been. My gut still wasn't where it should have been. And finally, when I was in school for nutrition, I put it all together and then got off the pill, had that whole other hormone journey and like healed myself of the fear of infertility. And now dedicate my life to helping other women do the same and really find themselves by connecting to their cycle and balancing their hormones. Oh, I love all of this. This is all the stuff that's juicy that I love to fill my day with. Um, so before we get into today's topic and chatting about the IUD and the COP IUD and what that actually is, now that we know a little bit about you, tell us what day of your cycle are you on and what are you checking in with today? How you feel in this moment? Yeah. So I'm on day 26 of my cycle. I typically have a 31 day cycle. So I've got a little bit of a ways still, but I'm in my late luteal phase and I'm actually like on the back end of my business today, just like cleaning up a bunch of stuff, getting ready for a launch that's coming out, making sure everything's organized, really like rooting into that nesty luteal phase um, vibes really trying to support my body with a little bit excess carbohydrate today, just so that I like have the energy to get through the day. It's good. Perfect. <laughs> Love a good, a bit, a bit of extra carbo carbos <laughs> carbs as it, as you wind down towards your next bleed, just on the fact that you mentioned that you generally have a regular 31 day cycle. I love that you mentioned that because on Friday, so today's, what is it? We're recording this on a Tuesday. Um, I was teaching at a school and I went around and I was teaching year 11 and year 12 students. So the age bracket of that is like 16 to 17 year old girls. And when I'm going around, I'm asking them, so tell me like roughly what day is your, like what length of your cycle do you have? Or what cycle length do you have? And they were like, well, doesn't it have to just be 28? You know, like the, the perception that your a cycle is always going to be 28 days long or it's always going to be 29 days long. And you mentioned that you have a regular 31 day cycle. So has your cycle always been that length? I'm so glad you were talking about that with young women. I teach 32 year old women in workshops all the time who like don't know what. Mm. That. So amazing that you're getting them young. Um, no, well, actually, I'm not a hundred percent. Like, I really don't remember what my cycle was like. You know, I only had it a few times before I got on the pill when I was younger. And since it was a little bit longer when I first got off of birth control, and then as I like regulated it more and made it healthier, it's always been 30 or 31 days. Yeah. Mm, that's good to know because I know that a lot of women freak out if it goes past 29 and then all of a sudden it hits 30. And it's like, oh my God, this is too long. But it's perfect. It's like your, I always say it's like your iris, you know, I, in, in a room, I'll go around, I'll get everyone to look at each other's irises and just look at how uniquely different they are. That's just the same with how uniquely different your cycle is. Um, you just can't see that because it's inside and internal. Totally. Um, and one of the ways that I actually always like to explain that to people is, you know, so I guess what I said is not a hundred percent true. I usually go to Burning Man and the past two years, not, not this past year, because it was canceled, but the two years prior to that, I was supposed to get my bleed while at Burning Man. And like, it's just not ideal. Let's put it that way. Like not the ideal time or place to do that. And I would always like, this was like totally a conscious thing. It's almost like inception. Like I would like stress out about it enough in the two weeks leading up to like when we would leave. And then both times I would get it the day we left, like every single time, like clockwork. And I knew that I like rationally know that it's not 
my periods delayed. It's that the ovulation is delayed, but be like stressing myself out and not creating a safe environment for ovulation to happen. I knew that I could like push it off by a few days and like mm-hmm. all those extra days at the burn without it. So. Oh, it's funny. Um, I love like, it's, it's so true. Like the question, this is totally off topic to what we were going to chat about, but it's great is the question of like, well, if I'm planning an event in the future, how do I plan it around my bleed? Because of course we we're happy for it to fall in any other time of our cycle, except for the bleed. And I was working with a client just in the last week and she said, Gemma, we've been working together for nearly a year. She's like, look, I got like all of my cycle trackers out because I got, I got a date back from my wedding venue and I wanted, it's in like six months and I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to have a bleed on the wedding day. <laughs> She's like, how can I have, how can I make this happen? And I was talking about stress cycles and how, you know, stress can impact when you do bleed and when you don't bleed. So it's just, um, it's just so funny that, w- that, that, that literally can happen with your, with stress. And for those who don't know what Burning Man is, Burning Man is a music festival. Kind of. Yeah, totally. I also yeah. planning a wedding. And so I feel for her, I totally get it. And I went through a similar thing being like making sure, let me check and make sure ideally I'd be ovulating, but like, yes, any other time. And we definitely planned around it. So it's good stuff. Good. All right. Well, let's switch gears. And um, let's talk about contraception, so hormonal contraception um, and the copper IUD. So you know a lot about this, which is fantastic, and we haven't yet really explored. We've talked about the IUD a little bit in little conversations here and there in podcast episodes, but we've never had a sole episode focused on the IUD and the copper IUD. So tell us, what is the copper IUD? Yeah, so the copper IUD so any IUD is like an intrauterine device. It's a little piece of plastic that goes inside your uterus and hangs out through your cervix. So actually an interesting thing about the, any IUD that you're on is like, you'll have more cervical fluid typically than you would otherwise, because your cervix is always a little bit open and can't fully close. Um, And the copper IUD, what makes it unique compared to the hormonal IUD, instead of the hormonal IUD, which releases, you know, small doses of hormones throughout the cycle um, or all the time, the copper IUD is wrapped with a little bit of copper. Um, in, in Europe, they call it a coil, like the mm-hmm. copper coil. And because I think I like that word because I think it helps us visualize what it actually looks like. Imagine just like a little bit of copper coiled around this little T-shaped device. And so what it does in in short, is it creates an inhospitable environment for the sperm to fertilize an egg. And so without using hormones, it's a 99% effective uh, birth control option for women. It's a little invasive, obviously, but you know, once it's put in, in theory, we'll talk more about why I don't think this is a good idea, but it can stay in for 10 to 12 years. Um, and it's an incredibly effective form of birth control. Amazing. It's really interesting how much we don't know about it. Um, how many women generally get or have an IUD? Do you know any, anything about the stats with that? I don't know exact statistics, um, but the numbers on the rise that I do know, I mean, I actually was sent something earlier uh, last week that I thought was really interesting where Colorado, which is a state in the United States, is actually offering uh teenagers IUDs without parental consent, um, like rather than offering them other forms of contraception, doing 
which yes, the woman who sent this to I had like a very interesting philosophical chat about it because in some ways it's like the pregnancy rate is way down and like all these other things is awesome, but also like how much are we informing these girls about this choice before they get it? Um, mm, the long-term so, effects. Exactly. Um, so I don't know, I would say that like, just based on my clients and like people who I work with, I would say probably out of women who are on birth control and are not just tracking their cycle and using fam as birth control, I'd say it's probably like 50, 50 between the oral contraceptive and, a and a type of IUD. Most typically in the United States, we see hormonal IUDs like the Mirena. Mm, they are. I feel like that's kind of a more typical IUD use here in Australia and worldwide from what I've seen. Um, but interesting what you were mentioning about, you know, school aged menstruators, you know, being informed that, hey, look, this is somewhat the way to go with con natural uh, with contraception. I know that for me, when I was at school and school aged, it was just the birth control pill. Like that was the go. Like that was literally the thing that we turned to. But what are the positive effects of having an IUD? Like, yeah, let's talk about the positives of it first. Yeah. So do we should want to talk about specifically about the copper IUD or like IUDs as a category in general? I think let's let's hone in on the copper IUD because and or you can mention IUDs in general if, if they kind of cross over both. But then let's talk also on the specifics of the copper, because I feel like a lot of us get confused we just think all IUDs are the same but there is the copper one versus the non-copper one and you know what are the differences I know you mentioned that like the copper one has the coil mm -hmm. around it like that as I describe it but are there any other big differences between the two not really I mean as far like yes in the way that they work like yes and their hormonal effect on the body like so much yes but like in terms of what it actually is no it's just like a piece of plastic one which distributes hormones, one which is just wrapped in copper. Um, so yeah, about IUDs a little bit in general, like the benefits of being on them. So I, we will mostly talk about the copper IUD. I do want to say one thing just because I think it's really important and I hear this all the time. Well, my doctor says it's low dose. My doctor says that when talking about the hormonal IUDs, my doctor says it's localized. And I just like want to remind everyone that one, nothing in the body is localized, literally nothing. And I actually have a really funny story that I can use to like, for, like give that as a very real thing. I had um, a yeast infection when I was in college and I was like up at two in the morning, so uncomfortable. Like, what do I do? Like, what's a natural thing I can do? And I read that you could put garlic inside your vagina and it would help your Suppository. yeast. Exactly. As a suppository. And so I'm like, great. I have so much garlic. And I go to the kitchen and I put a piece of garlic and I like use it as a suppository. And I'm like, how am I going to get this out? I hadn't thought about that. And of course I didn't read far enough down in my state of distress that you are supposed to tie a piece of floss around the garlic so that you'll be able to like pop it out. And so I couldn't get it out for like the next three days. I had this piece of garlic in there and I'm telling you, Gemma, like you people didn't want to sit next to me on the bus. Like I, it was like, I was an anti-vampire, like, you know, <laughs> I reeked of garlic from every single pore. And so I wow. like to use that as an example with in two to three days, having one tiny piece of garlic on the, like inside my vagina, but not like even inside my uterus, not even inside my body body. Right. Like emanating through every single part of me. How can we say that? Like, just a little bit of hormones that we're putting in that part of the body is only local. And even if it was, it's local to the parts of the body that 
we are like going to, if we're going to be struggling with hormones that we're going to be struggling with it. So I just like want to name that. (laughs) That is such a great story and a great example because it's true. Nothing is localized. Everything is literally connected in some way, shape or form. And you, even if you just think about the fact that our blood is pumping around our body all the time. And so they say that the average woman wears, and this is a bit sexist, but it's just, this is a stat is that the average woman wears around 500 or has around 515 chemicals and toxins on her skin a day from all of the, the beauty or the care, hair care products that she uses. And it just goes to show that just because you've put it on your skin doesn't mean it's localized to that area. Like that goes in your body and then it's in your bloodstream and that's pumped around your body. So that's a really great example of like localized. Um, Now you mentioned it has a low dose effect. So I'm guess the doctor would be saying like, you know, the hormonal dose is very, very low, but what is like the hormonal effect on the body? So it, it varies person to person, which is one of the things about the IUD that makes it really challenging. So um, for some people, it completely delays ovulation. For others, it does not. Um, one of the things that it does do, though, is it makes the lining of the hormonal effect makes the lining of the uterus very, very light. And this is something, again, I think anyone, I know you and I both educate around fertility, and this is something that anyone who wants to potentially have children or have the option to have their own children, I think is so important because, you know, when they look at statistics around conception after being on birth control, they're not taking into account miscarriage or like not being able to complete a pregnancy till full term. And we see that a lot where, you know, you want a cushy lining for that fertilized egg to land on, you know, it wants to be nice and cushy and thick to like build up and have all the nutrients that it needs to hold that pregnancy. And if for years we spend years and years and years, thinning the lining, thinning the lining, um, it can be hard to build that back up. And so that is Mm. one of the hormonal effects of the IUD that can be really challenging. Um, And interestingly, the copper IUD kind of has the opposite effect, but not necessarily always in a good way. And so we can kind of talk about that a little bit too. Um, I personally feel like the copper IUD is great gateway birth control. Okay. And this is what I mean by that. If you are someone who is getting off of hormonal birth control and does not want to get pregnant and is looking forward to learning how to track her cycle and to use an alternative method of birth control, which we'll talk about why that would be important in a minute, then I think getting on a copper IUD for a year or two can be really beneficial while you regulate your cycle and while you learn how to track your cycle. it is, you know, 99% effective and is, there are some side effects like having, you know, short-term side effects, like having heavier periods, having more increased cramping. It's essentially, again, creating that inhospitable environment. So there's irritation. So your uterus is like a little bit more angry than it normally would be. Um, And you can battle that with some, you know, extra supplementation, extra magnesium, being better about cycle syncing your food, being careful about your movement, your alcohol intake, dairy intake, sugar, et cetera. Um, But I love it for when you know, because you're smart and you listen to my content and Gemma's content that like when you first get off the pill or first get off another form of hormonal IUD, your cycle might not be regular. And if you have an irregular cycle, it can be hard to feel confident about not getting pregnant. Um, and so in that way, I think it's really awesome for people who are looking for to make that transition. Okay, cool. I've actually not, not heard that recommendation before. 
it's interesting. Like, let's just talk about the transition of coming off the pill first, and then we'll go into the whole gateway birth control. Yeah. I think that a lot of women, when they come off the hormonal contraceptive pill, so for me, I lost my period for seven to nine months. And what I mean by that is I had some bleeding and like a very, very, I'd, yeah, intermenstrual bleeding around the seven month mark, but I didn't really get a cycle back until around the ninth month mark. And I literally felt like I had an alien in my body. I was just like, what the fuck is going on? And why don't like, why, why, why don't I have this bleed? I stopped this thing and why don't all, but I did, I was on the pill for 12 years. And so my body had literally forgotten how to ovulate and then how to menstruate and how to have this cyclical nature. And I think that a lot of um, menstruators, when they come off the hormonal birth control, they just think, okay, well, I'm just going to apply this fertility method, which is to conceive or to not conceive, whatever your goal is. And then that's just going to work really, really well for me. But it can be challenging because they, they, they don't have a, a complete cycle potentially. So maybe they have an attempted ovulation and then it's a delayed ovulation. And then, then they ovulate and then all of a sudden their cycle is 45 days long. Right. <laughs> And so it can be really challenging for them to understand what it feels like to actually have a cycle. So you're recommending transitioning and, you know, using a copper IUD. So do they do that straight or? Not necessarily. Like, yes, for some women, that is the best choice, but not necessarily. Um, Mm. I just, there are women, like, I I think barrier methods, I will just say, I think barrier methods methods are incredibly effective. And, you know, you can use things like LH strips and other tools to like help you figure out when ovulation is happening. Mm -hmm. And I oftentimes see and work with people who are incredibly anxious about the idea of getting pregnant. And if that is you and like uh, using a condom or using a diaphragm is just not going to cut it for you in terms of like you being able to not be a stressed out mess every month, then that's not helping our hormone balancing process either. And then you're a really maybe potentially a good candidate for the copper IUD. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Such great point. So let's talk about the, I guess the downsides to the copper IUD because you know, copper can be a heavy, like a toxic heavy metal in high dose, right? And when I say high dose or just excess, ex, um, excess, what's the word? Um, oh, I don't know. It's not, it's not coming to me, but in just excess, if there's copper and there's too much of it in your body, like that can be challenging. And I know that can sometimes be a fear for women un, in understanding the copper IUD. So let's talk about, you know, some of the, di- the downsides to the copper IUD. Yeah. So you nailed one of them on the head. Copper, even in small amounts can interfere with one, like your body's zinc levels, right? So copper and zinc are cofactors in the body, meaning if you have too much of one, you won't have enough of the other, vice versa. And so even just a little bit of elevated copper can make us have not enough zinc. And zinc, as we know, is very important for our hormonal health, very important for our immunity, very important for our skin. So many things that women, especially in today's day and age, need to be you know, extra vigilant about and also just who doesn't want nice skin and like to be hormonally happy. So mm-hmm. um, I always recommend that like, no matter, even if you do detox metals well, which we'll touch on in just a second, that if you are on a copper IUD, that you take a daily zinc supplement to counterbalance the copper in your body. Um, 
it's important to make sure that you process metals well. I don't know very many women who this has happened to, but I do know two, and I know that there are more out there. So for some people, the methylation process in your body does not work as well as it does for other people. Um, it has to do with genetics. And if you are one of those people, then the copper IUD can cause copper toxicity for you and can make you feel really ill. Something I like to, you know, you can get genetic testing done and like, look and see, I know in the States you can get some of that testing done for like $350. So it's not cheap, but it's not a fortune. And like, if it's worth it for you to have the peace of mind, you know, it probably is a good idea. Um, and also you'll know after a few months, usually if things aren't right, you know, if you're starting to have copper toxicity symptoms, you can go and get it taken out. Um, but always taking a zinc supplement. And then the other downside, which I think this is the much less talked about thing and most women don't know about is that when we have the copper IUD in for long periods of time. So even though they say that it is, you know, technically safe to have in your body for 10 to 12 years when, wow. I, yeah. Um, which in theory it should be, and it should be fine. But what we're starting to see is that usually after that like two year mark, which is why I always tell people like it's gateway, like we use it for one to two years if you need to, to get you like temping properly and like perfectly using fam and feeling good about that. Because if you let it go in after that two to three, you know, pushing up their, your mark, what we see is that it causes symptoms of estrogen dominance. And it causes estrogen dominance in the body. Um, I mean, vitamin E can help a little bit with that. Like you can do some things to help with it, but we know that estrogen dominance is one, not fun and two, not safe. And that's why I don't recommend it for a long period of time. Really good points. Like one of the questions I was going to ask you was around like, how does this impact your nutrient levels and your hormones? So we'll talk about hormones, but nutrients, I think it just highlights that anything you was like early, we're talking about it being like a, with the garlic story, <clears throat> you know, being an isolated thing. Is there anything you put in your body or on your body, whether it's food or a device like the copper IUD, is that it, your body's going to react and respond to that in some way, shape or form. And so that's going to cause some either contribution to bringing something into balance or creating more imbalance in your body. Um, zinc, what a great um, highlight. And it just goes back to saying like, you need to listen to your body. So once you've had the IUD in for a little while, um, even when you get it in and then when you're looking at, I guess, you know, getting it removed potentially really listening to your body is key. Would you agree? I mean, I think always listening to your body is so important, right? And I don't recommend, you know, getting on the, the copper IUD if you're already so out of touch with your body that you're not going to be able to read, am I responding well to this or not? So, mm -hmm. yeah. Really, really good point. I have to interrupt this episode to let you know that today is sponsored by my brand new five-day Love Your Cycle mini course. A simplified self-paced course to teach you the foundations and fundamentals of your menstrual cycle in under a week. Receive daily educational class videos and audios along with action steps, a cycle tracking guide, cycle prompts, and my Love Your Cycle 50-page ebook. This is your chance to discover everything you wish they had have taught you at school about your cycle, how to eat, how to move, honoring your emotions, and identifying PMS and cycle signs before they arise. It's now your turn 
to join over 300 women from around the world who have already taken this course to reclaim and reconnect with their bodies. And you can do this too in under a week for less than a fancy vegan burger. To learn more, visit wellsome.com forward slash shop. And to thank you for being an amazing listener of this podcast, I want to offer you a 20% off voucher code. Use the code CYCLELOVE at checkout to save. Let's talk about the, the group of menstruators who have the IUD in currently and the copper IUD, and they're looking at getting it removed. What's the process of that? Because I know it's important to be prepared and if you're anything like me with when I came off birth control, I was just like, I just went cold turkey. I <laughs> didn't plan for it at all. Didn't have any education about it. Um, but I think it's important to be prepared and to know what you can do to help bring your body back into more balance. If you're looking at, you know, reclaiming your cycle back in a cyclical nature. So what can we do if we are planning on having a copper IUD removed? So the beautiful, this is one of the reasons why I do recommend the copper IUD for those women who need it is your cycle is the way that it should be. Like you can, like your cycle, you're ovulating the way you would normally be ovulating as long as everything, you know, assuming everything is in balance. Um, you're having a regular cycle and you can totally be tracking your regular cycle and getting the IUD removed. is a pretty easy process, getting it in, not as much. I mean, it's just like more uncomfortable, pretty uncomfortable, but getting it out is like no big deal, uncomfortable for like 10 seconds and then you're done. And then nothing should really change. I mean, like if you don't want to be taking your daily zinc supplement anymore, that's fine. I mean, I do think zinc is just amazing. And like most of us can do with more of it, but you could stop taking your zinc and really the conversation about getting off of a hormonal IUD is very different than getting off a copper IUD because getting off a copper IUD is actually like very little is different. Um, assuming you didn't have any of the negative side effects, et cetera. Um, if you are getting off of the copper IUD after many, many years, and you are experiencing problems with estrogen dominance or symptoms of estrogen dominance and don't know that that's a thing, you know, this could include having very tender breasts before your bleed, having very painful cramps. It could include, you know, breaking out right before your period. It can include all these other things. Then you would want to, you know, be mindful about when you get off, you know, maybe taking some dim and doing some of the, you know, internal work to make balance. But otherwise it's one of those very few things that you don't have to be so prepared for. <laughs> it's really good to know. And I think it's important to understand here the difference between the copper IUD and the hormonal IUD, because, when we look at the hormonal IUD, it actually impacts the body and the body's hormone balances and production and your overall cycle very, very differently. So when let, let's look at how our hormones can shift and change with the copper IUD as opposed to the like the, the implanon or the other IUD is that when we're looking at the, the copper IUD, I know you mentioned sometimes symptoms of um, estrogen dominance, but what other um, changes can, can we see hormonally with the copper IUD? I mean, not very many others that have been documented. I mean, I, copper toxicity can cause a lot of different issues. So if that was the issue and like your body wasn't detoxing copper properly, then you could see, you know, thyroid issues and other, you know, hormones like that inside the body. But the main, the main thing that we would see with the copper IUD is over, you know, usually over two years um, is seeing increase estrogen and then by association, not enough progesterone. Um, so those are really the only documented 
um, effects that we have. Cause I mean, most people will even tell you that the copper IUD doesn't affect your hormones at all. It's not hormonal. Mm. It doesn't affect them at all. And so even me saying this is like a little bit radical, but it is documented and I think should be talked about more. That's why I asked the question, because I feel like a lot of people think, but this is a non-hormonal form of contraception, but anytime I mentioned earlier, anytime you're putting something in or on your body, your body's going to react and respond to that. And that might not be straight away, but it could be in the future. So um, let's look at the difference now between that form of IUD and the hormonal IUD. So how does the, um, the other form of, um, because if someone's thinking, I want to get an IUD, but they're trying, this is why I'm asking the question, they're trying to pick and choose between the differences. I think it's important for us to be educated and to know the difference between the copper IUD and the other IUD. So now that we know about the copper, let's talk about the other IUD. Yeah. Um, so the other IUD, I mean, I will just come out and say for the first, like my formal recommendation is not going to be to go on the, the hormonal IUD. Um, because like I said, you usually have like two years before you're going to start seeing any negative hormonal effects, which gives you plenty of time to figure out your next birth control move. Um, whether that's like in, and regulate your cycle and do all those things. So I will always be an advocate unless you are someone who doesn't detox heavy metals. Well, I will always be an advocate for the copper over the other forms of IUDs. Um, but if for whatever reason you decided that you you didn't have the right, you know, genes or you decided that the copper IUD wasn't for you. It's important to name that again, like the hormonal effects that we see typically from, it's still a hormonal overdrive of your system when you're on the hormonal IUD, just because it's low dose, just because it's localized, quote unquote, it's still an overdrive of what your system would already be doing. You might not be ovulating. And we know that if you're not ovulating, you're missing the point of the cycle, right? Um, you're still can, Con essentially confusing your body on how to create its own hormones because we've flipped off that switch and we're influencing it with someone with something else. Um, it kind of depends on which I hormonal IUD you choose. And I mean, there's a few different ones. There's like the, at least in the United States, like the Mirena and the Kyla and like a few different that have different doses of different things that affect you differently. But one of the biggest things that I typically see is either like stopping ovulation as the hormonal effect, or like we already talked about the thinning of the uterine lining. Mm. And for those who are listening to this and are just unaware of that, what that means long-term is that anytime you're stopping ovulation, your body is suppressing its ability to ovulate. So long-term, if you're planning on conceiving and you're using that form of IUD, is that if you use it for an extended period of time, your body can forget how to do that process. So it has to relearn that process once you've had the IUD removed. And then that's the same with the thinning of the uterine lining is that over time, as the more and more it thins out, then, you know, let's say you come off the IUD like, great, I'm ready to start a family. I'm ready to conceive. We're financially ready. We're mentally ready. We're emotionally ready. But then all of a sudden the body's like, oh, but we, we like, we, we've forgotten how to do this ovulation thing. And I, I forgot how to build a, like a uterine lining. So this is going to take a couple of years. Now it doesn't always take a couple of years, but it's important to know that that transition happens. Cause I feel like a lot of people forget that um, or, or are, uneducated about it is that what you see too Steph all the time it makes me so it hurts my heart so much which is why I mm. love just getting on a loudspeaker and talking about this all the time because 
there's nothing worse. You know, some experts say that this is as it relates to the hormonal IUD and the, you know, pill, but any form of hormonal contraception is that some experts say that it can take half as long as you were on it for your body to recalibrate. And so like, let's put this into perspective. Let's say you're 32 and you had been on the pill for 10 years and you get off and it takes your body five years to get back to balance. And then you're 37, like you've lost a lot of really important fertile years. And, and, and so it just, um, of course, there are a lot of things we can do to speed that up. And that's like why you and I do the work that we do. And yes, I see that with the IUD all the time too. I mean, the thing, the interesting thing with IUD is what we sometimes see is that like the longer people are on it, their body, because the, the hormone dose starts to become lower and lower and lower. Um, the, the, like, um, the, they will start to ovulate again on their own, which is great as some women will get off the pill and immediately start ovulating. So like, it is awesome, but it, that uterine lining is a harder thing to fix and mm-hmm. takes a lot of time to rebuild. And something I see a lot also is a lot of vegetarians and a lot of people who are really afraid of red meat. And I like to say like, it takes blood to bleed. And like, so when we're trying to rebuild that blood up, especially like if you've been a vegetarian or a vegan for 10 years and you've been on an IUD and then you come off, it just is not an ideal scenario for trying to conceive, you know, in the very short term future. Mm, You're so, I love, that's such a really important point. And it just goes to show that something that arcs me up a lot is, I guess the diet um, industry and the food industry and they're educated on food ways. So to live paleo, to live vegan, to go keto, um, all of these, like there's hundreds of them that have, you know, been developed over the last few decades. But it's important to know that as women or as menstruators, that the cyclical nature of your cycle is just as important with the cyclical nature of your food. And that's why it's important to have certain aspects of nutrients and nutrition at different times of your cycle for specific reasons. And I just love what you mentioned about it can take half as long for your body to recalibrate back into its natural you know, system. And that also depends on how young you were when you started or how soon after menstru- your first menstrual cycle, your first men are going through menarche that you did start hormonal contraception. So for me, if I look at, I started the, the, the pill, I can't remember exactly, but it was within the first six to 12 months. So that's literally within the first six to 12 cycles or 13 uh-huh. cycles. So my body really hadn't like these whole glands in the brain system and the connection with the ovaries wasn't really like a permanent communication pathway. So I broke that straight away. And then because I broke it, stayed on it consecutively um, for 12 years, then I stopped. And then my body was like, dude, I don't know what your ovaries are. <laughs> so I think preparation is really important. And I know with um, FAM, so like the fertility awareness method, it's really great to be educated on it in the lead up to coming off hormonal contraception too, I feel, because it gets you educated so that you can look for the little signs and start to document that with the awareness and potentially the goal of non-conception um, whilst you're getting to understand what it feels like to have a, a cycle back, a full menstrual cycle back. Totally. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I mean, it's just for some people, it, it never comes back. 
And like, of course, those, that is not like the, you know, the norm, but I just think it's important that we know this because I mean, you're probably not thinking about this when you're 15 and going on the pill and you like want to have sex and you're in high school, but like, it is something that I think is important that we share and that, you know, it changes. There's so much we now know about hormonal birth control. It changes the, the shape of our brains and like affects our sex life, anxiety, depression. It, it permanently affects the way that your liver makes sex hormone binding globulin, which can lead to like so many hormonal imbalances later in life. And even if they rebalance, the structure of your liver is like forever changed. Um, mm-hmm. And there's like no long-term studies I mean, this is like the biggest experiment that society has ever done. And like, there are no long-term studies on hormonal birth control and oral contraceptive. And, you know, we have women taking it. I have a client um, who I helped get pregnant earlier this year who had been on it for 17 years, you know, and she got off when they were ready to have a baby and a year came and went and nothing happened. And so, I mean, then we connected and we're fortunately able to get her pregnant within a couple months, but that's not always, you know, the case. And I just, I th- I'm so glad that we can bring more awareness to that subject. And ladies, if you have the choice, try to do it naturally without hormones. <laughs> I think it comes down to looking at it in the, in the sense of birth control choice, because Controlling birth and contraception or conceiving is a choice and birth control choices are natural, they're hormonal. It's just important to be really educated so that you can make an informed choice. So a really great question um, and one of our final questions that I'll ask around this topic is I think a lot of people go to the doctors unprepared. Mm. And they're not really aware of how to get the right support or to ask the right questions. So are there any questions that you can recommend, um, you know, a menstruator who is looking at understanding their hormonal and non-hormonal contraception options, if they're going to a doctor potentially to go, oh, well, I'm thinking about getting an IUD, what questions could they ask to a healthcare provider like a doctor before they make their final decision where they're going, whether they're going to get a copper IUD or a regular IUD? Yeah. Well, that's a good question and a hard one. And one that's really dear to my heart because I feel like the heaviest thing about my work is hearing about people's doctor's visits. And like, I just, it's, it's, it's an insanely, at least in the United States, frustrating system. And, um, I wish I had a better answer. What I will say is it's less about the questions um, because what I found is that doctors have a really interesting way of like avoiding answering questions and just like responding with what they want you to know whether or not that's the answer to the questions. At least that's what I've seen in my experience with my client's experience here. Um, And more about going in knowing that you are the owner of your body and like mm-hmm. you make the executive decisions and that the jo- doctor's job is to support you in that. And so if you go in and say, you know, I've done, it's really about like being your own advocate, doing your own research, talking to people like you or me, you know, finding out all the things, like maybe it's like going in with all of the studies about, you know, all of the things that can potentially happen if you're on hormonal birth control. And if they try and tell you, they don't want to give you a copper IUD because they end up taking a lot of them out because the periods are heavy and painful, you know, just being like, well, I have all of this 
data that's showing me I don't want it and it's my body and you have to give me what I want. <laughs> and I like know that that sounds bad as I'm not saying don't take the advice of your doctor, but I very frequently see um, just like a lot of things that make me feel skeptical about the doctor's uh, world in the United States. Like there's a time and a place, but you know, there's something right now out like that's a new pharmaceutical. That's, it actually sounds really promising, but it's a, it's called Fexi. Have you heard of it? It's like Mm -hmm. a, a gel. It's essentially like lube, but it's a gel that changes the pH of your vagina so that it neutralizes sperm. And so it's like this new non-hormonal form of birth control. And so now I, every woman I have who goes to her doctor, I had a client who wanted, who went to her doctor to ask if she could show her where her cervix was. Cause she's trying to do fam and do her cervical position. And she like, couldn't figure out where her cervix was. And so the doctor like, I mean, did help her, but also was like, here, why don't you just take this new thing, Fexi, which like, again, sounds really promising and is not hormonal, but I have a lot of questions around like, what's your incentive for doing this? Like, how long has this been on the market? Can it permanently shift the pH of our vagina? Because that could be problematic for conceiving later on. Mm -hmm. You know, what else is it made of? Is it toxic? Like there are so many other questions and all of my clients' questions around that were just answered with like, here's this shiny new thing. You should take it. Um, yeah, it's, um, wow. I haven't heard of that. And it's what you mentioned about the questions with the doctors is I having worked with clients from all over the world, doctors are very, very different in very, in different countries and the way that they practice is very different. And there's obviously different types of doctors too. And so for me, it took me a while to find a doctor that I, that I trust that, you know, I can go and get regular blood blood tests with every six months and just get a really good checkup. And if you're unhappy with your doctor or how your treatment, I don't like that word, but how you're treated by your doctor is, you know, look for other options and, Yes, you are the owner of your body. And I think it's really important whenever you're going to the doctors and you're talking about any form of like contraception is important to know your goals. So walking into, you know, your appointment with your doctor or any provider and knowing what your goals are. Uh, Is your goal to conceive? Is your goal to avoid conception? Is your goal to avoid conception but conceive in two to three years time? If you know and can communicate your goals, it means that you've communicated to them what it is that's of high importance to you. And so that in respect, in return, they should be able to provide information that supports you in achieving that goal. Um, But just remember, asking questions is really important. And if you're unsure, you don't have to make a decision. You can just ask more questions. Totally. Yeah, I love that. I mean, yes. Like I have been still, still years later searching for that perfect care provider. And I wish I lived closer to you and I could go and find <laughs> and use yours. Um, and you know, like I'm also a birth doula and I talk a lot with women who, a lot of women who I help them conceive. And then we do a virtual doula relationship and we talk a lot about the kinds of questions you should be asking your care provider, like when figuring out who's going to be the right person for your birth. And I think it applies to any care provider, um, hundred percent. And I mean, just the one thing that I think is important that we say that I hear all the time is that so many people go in to talk to their doctor about, should I get off the pill? I'm thinking about trying to conceive in the next year or so. And what I end up with a lot of people in my practice is like, my doctor said just to wait until I was ready to conceive and it should happen within three months. And I mean, I hear that all day, 
every day. Like, it's just so Mm. frustrating. And because I know that that is just so not the truth. And then these women think that they're broken. And I had a client who, I mean, was 26 and had already done a round of IVF after being off the pill for less than a year, because that was the, what the standard that was communicated to her. And so I just think it's like, yes, ask all the questions of the world and also don't take their answers for like God's word. Mm-hmm. Your body, like, you know, your body better than anybody. And this comes back to like the ancient wisdom of a woman and the connection with her womb is that if something doesn't feel right, or you're getting this little intuitive knowing, you know, that, oh, maybe I should stop doing this, or maybe I should have this removed, or maybe I should start this instead. Listen to that message and you know, tune in and listen to it. Just like we mentioned before, like listen to your body, like yeah. with everything. <laughs> it's really important. Steph, I've loved chatting about all of these topics around the IUD with you. Um, final question for this topic before I ask you the final podcast question is that, do you have any closing advice for women who are, who are concerned about conceiving? Because I feel like there's a really lot, there's a lot of fear um, about when you're changing your contraception plan um, to not conceive, that there's fear about accidentally falling pregnant. There's a lot of fear around, oh, I'm going from the pill to the IUD and I'm concerned I'm going to fall pregnant. I'm going from the IUD to um, natural fertility method and I'm concerned about falling pregnant. What are your um, guiding tips, maybe three tips you have for women who are transitioning from one to another or are looking at starting a new form of contraception and they're freaking out about conceiving? You know, what are your, like, what are your top tips? Yeah, so first is like really root into your mindfulness routine and just like, remember that the stress doesn't serve you. Okay. Like being stressed out about something is like not helping the situation at all. And so by able, by being able to like clear our mind and be less stressed and really root into our mindfulness routine, you're much less likely to miss the signs that are going to, you know, like you'll just be more clear. And so that's the first one is calm down (laughs) in whatever way. Calm the farm. Exactly. Um, the second one is probably seek the help of a practitioner. Um, you know, fam, like there's a really great book, Taking Charge of Your Fertility, which is, I think, like, you know, the Bible about some of this stuff when learning how to use fam fertility awareness method. And so, like, if you can't afford to have the help of a practitioner, um, I highly recommend getting that book, but having the help of a practitioner who can teach you how to track your cervical fluid, you know, when to be using LH strips, how to temp, et cetera. There's a lot, to, it's a learning curve and you don't have to be the expert in everything. So uh, seek advice and seek guidance and doing it. Like a lot of women in my well woman collective are, are there to do that. And we do a whole module on fam and like how to start doing that. And it's really fun when you have a group of like-minded women who are all doing it with you. And like mm-hmm. the chats are so fun of like, I have egg white cervical fluid today. And, you know, just like starting to like understand what that means is helpful when you're doing it with other women. And then the third thing I would say is like, remember that barrier methods are highly effective when used properly. You know, condoms are over 94% effective when used properly. Even the pullout method is like in the high eighties when used effectively. And so if you're actually being mindful I think the chances of you getting pregnant are so much slower. Remember there's only a few days in every cycle that you're actually fertile and try and not let the like health class of your sixth grade, you know, 
whatever it is they told you about, like you're going to get pregnant if you ever have sex, like not seep into the back of your mind. Um, yeah. Such great points. Um, I think we often forget about the barrier methods, like a diaphragm and a condom, because, you know, people want to be able to have um, skin on skin connection sexually, um, especially penetrative um, sexual experience, but they are really great methods too. And I know that with um, FAM, so with fertility awareness is that, and that method of natural fertility is that you can actually combine different methods together um, for a better peace of mind so that you don't, you know, like have all this stress that isn't serving you. Steph, really good points. Now tell us where can our listeners find you? Now, I know you mentioned about the Well Women Collective and it sounds like like when we connected, we both have Well Women and this is the Well Women podcast and I run the Well Women Academy. But if there is some women who are from your neck of the woods and are like, look, I really love the way that Steph kind of shares on this and I want to learn more about the Copper IUD, how can they find you? Yeah. So, um, come say what's up on Instagram, Stephanie Adler wellness. I am not sure when this is actually going to be releasing, but I either will have just launched or will be about to launch a new fertility course. And I work one-on-one with people as well as have my well woman collective, which is my group program. So there's really something for everyone and yeah, I'd love to even just connect and become friends and share all of the fun well woman things, um, from one well woman to another anyone in your community is welcome in my community. Amazing. Steph, thank you so much. Now, final podcast question, switching gears just a little bit is um, I would love to hear from you. What are three guiding tips that you wish you knew when you were menstruating for the first time that you now know today? So three things that Mm -hmm. you were like, God, I wish when I was, because you were 12, right? I wish when I was 12 that, you know, someone had told me this. What are your three guiding tips for your younger menstruating self? I love that so much. Um, I think one would be your cycle can be your superpower. Yeah, like that would have been so empowering. Two would be to not interfere with it. (laughs) I wish I had been told that. And three would be to take time to get into the practice of taking time every month to like mark it as sacred. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. Like if I, when I was 12, if someone had told me like make a ritual around your period, like that would have been so life-changing. It would have been life-changing. I also been like, what the fuck is a ritual? <laughs> that would have been me. Oh God. Um, Steph, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom around this topic of the copper IED. I trust that everyone who is listening to this and is still listening to the end of the episode, um, you know, has really walked away with some great tips and points about understanding this form of contraception in a, in a more simplistic way, because it can be very overwhelming. Um, So thank you so much for taking the time and being here. Thank you so much. This was just an insane pleasure. So I'm so happy to be on. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to every episode of the Well Women podcast. I trust you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. If you got a lot out of it too, please subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast app. This means together we can inspire, connect and educate even more women. Now, is there a bestie, a sister or a friend who you know may be frustrated and confused with their health? Are they ready to discover new aspects of themselves too? Well, 
take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your social media, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to their ears. So together, we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our bodies. And be sure to tag me in it too. Hashtag WellWomenPodcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body, and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle. 